Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Is It Mo Quarantine Though? Season 2 of Is It Mo Muslim Though? I'm excited for you all for our guest today. His name is Imran and Imran is actually the Midwest uh, Regional Director for a continuous charity. He works at a local university. He has his own podcast. So I'm very excited for him to be on the episode just because he has a lot of stuff going on and I really wanted to see how, you know, this whole pandemic has hit him and his family. So really excited to get started. Imran, how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, you know, what's been going on? Uh, as you mentioned, brother, I am Imran and, you know, a lot of my work actually revolves around meeting people, talking to people. You know, I do some work with the university. I work uh, more intimately with ACC and a few other clients. Um, you know, I'm very much into technology, very much into health. I have a podcast, as you mentioned. And what's been going on is COVID-19, brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. Like, you know, I was talking with, you know, I mean, obviously this whole podcast, this whole season is about it. But even when, you know, my uh, in-laws visited yesterday, all the dinner conversation was just Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the, the, the appropriate Corona, the COVID-19 Corona, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> so for you, how's it, you know, how's that transition been? Are you able to work from home with your current jobs? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely put a strain on some aspects of the work, right? Uh, and in some ways, there's actually been a benefit at uh, in terms of working from home because for me, particularly, that's less time that I spend in the car. Uh, that's less time I spend having to go back and forth, maybe say picking up the kids or doing things of that nature. So it actually, for in some ways, it's helped me become more productive. But obviously, it's constraining in the sense that part of this job is meeting people, speaking to people, you know, forming an intimate relationship with others, learning about them, learning about their organizations. And that part of the job has, it's not disappeared, but it's, it's you know, there's a new unique challenge in terms of meeting people remotely, which we're all accustomed to doing. But, you know, you got to remember, for people like yourself and myself who are, you know, in our early 30s, late 20s, whatever, whatever, I think, I'm not sure how old you are exactly, but... <laughs> <laughs> 27 so yeah late 20s there we go mashallah man making me feel old um <laughs> but you know for us we can we can do this right right now we're online we're we're talking to one another online and mm -hmm. it's it's fine for us this is this is something we're accustomed to but certain uh generations prefer a face-to-face -face type of communication and they like to meet people they like to shake your hand and they like to mm -hmm. see you present you know so in that in that sense, it's definitely become difficult, and you know, I, I know you're probably going to ask me more questions about this uh, soon. But a lot of the nonprofits, a lot of these small organizations and small businesses right now are taking a hit because mm -hmm. for nonprofits and and, and community-based and faith-based organizations, a lot of their their operations, that their success depends on the people, and it depends also on the people's donations. So, you know, with all the fear right now, and with all the impending job losses that are going to probably occur very soon and just continue to occur for a while, it's, it's, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging. Yeah. So you were saying that for this job uh, specifically, can you explain to the audience a bit about what organization that you're talking about and then like, what is your role with that organization? Like how, what, like, you know, usually do you do without the coronavirus and how, you know, so that kind of impact it's been. Sure. Sure. So ACC, a continuous charity is a, a nonprofit that essentially makes higher education practical and possible for uh, prospective students because we eliminate the the threat or the the probability of falling into an interest-bearing loan. So what we do is we provide our students that we accept a, a, a loan 
which is non-interest bearing. So if you, for example, borrow $40,000 from us, you're only going to wind up paying us $40,000, not $40,000 in one cent, not $41,000. So essentially, we're here to help people attend uh, higher education, get a higher education uh, you know, experience and degree, and hopefully become active and productive members of society by studying you know, important fields and, and things that make a difference, whether that's being a doctor, whether that's being a teacher, whether that's being an engineer, what have you. Um, and my role is I work on the development and program side. So on the development side, that means meeting prospective stakeholders, meeting prospective donors, engaging with existing donors, making phone calls, making trips, setting up fundraisers, setting up events. You know, we set up an event at, uh, I think, uh, ICN in Naperville. And, you know, you were actually the speaker. So working on programs like that to spread awareness. And on the program side, it's setting up, you, you know, unique opportunities and experience, right? Because one part of the organization is to provide loans, but we want to grow. We want to innovate, right? We can't stagnate because stagnation in terms of small businesses and nonprofits means death. You know, your, your, your organization is not going to thrive and success. Um, yeah. If you're just kind of doing the same thing, like people kind of just forget about you. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, if you look at any of the big tech giants, if you look at any of the successful companies that are out there, they've all had to innovate. So with the pro- on the programming side, you know, we're conducting two webinars or two uh, live streams a week right now on various topics, and they're geared towards holistically developing our students and our listeners. We're also working on some mentorship programs for the students that we were planning on launching by the summertime, some continuing education, uh, some professional networking opportunities. So the development and programming side require presence. You know, you need to go out and meet with people, right? Right as mm-hmm. the COVID-19 thing was hitting, you know, I had a dinner with the uh, Chicago Volunteers for ACC and we had such a great time. We went out to dinner. We all laughed. We had a great time. We, we spoke to one another. You know, they told me what they were up to. I told them what I was up to. And th- that that part is important. You know, meeting the faces, bonding, showing people that you actually care about them beyond their work is important. And now, you know, due to COVID-19, we just got to figure out more unique ways to do that. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, you're saying it's already having an impact on nonprofits and especially with something like a continuous charity where in the Midwest, especially it's at that stage where growth is really important. Awareness is really important. It's very tough right now, especially like that small interactions, as you said, are so important when they're done face to face. I remember even for us, I've always known about like a continuous charity um, and, you know, I've always supported their cause. And I was always waiting for them to like kind of get active. And so when Imran kind of took over as the Midwest director, he started really developing this whole, you know, area in the continuous charity chapter over here. I remember the first time we met was actually, it was like nighttime. It was pretty late. It was like eight or nine. And you drove over to my apartment to drop off some flyers um, that I was going to pass out. And so we had only been communicating over text at that point. And so I remember we stood there for like 30 minutes outside of my apartment, just talking about everything, getting to know each other, you know, getting to see like I was learning what you guys, you know, how you guys were developing the org at that moment, you know, how I could help out. And since then, you know, I've tried to help however much I can. And, you know, I've done like, you know, events for y'all. I've spoken. We've shared stuff like you guys have helped sponsor some of the orgs I've been a part of. So it's like, you know, without that small interaction, like trying to bring people on right now is probably very hard, even if they're like wanting to help volunteer even something like flyers, like no one's passing out flyers anywhere. No one's at any event, right? There's nothing for potential like entry-level volunteers to kind of do right now 
because there's no event. So I can see how that's going to be really tough hit in terms of not just ACC, but a lot of nonprofits right now and getting people invested and like, you know, ready to like help out. Correct. Correct. I mean, it's going to be a problem for many organizations. I would say the vast majority, everybody right now is scrambling and trying to figure out, uh, you know, how, how they can adapt and change. And this is going to be a, a trying and testing time for everybody, not just, you know, nonprofits, but small business owners, medium-sized business owners, universities, uh, any type of educational institute, like even elementary school, middle schools and whatnot. So this is going to be a time where, you know, it's going to require people to come together. It's going to require for people to be innovative, but it's also going to require for people to be patient because this is going to be a tough, you know, maybe six to eight months, right? Until the economy and everything else bounces back. It's going to be, it's going to be a unique time, man. Unique time. Yeah. It's really interesting because, you know, for my wife, she's a second grade teacher. You know, we talked about this in episode one, how she's been having to adapt to like e-learning, but even at a second grade level, it's very hard to do e-learning with that age at a, at a level where it's going to be a full replacement for your day to day coming to school, coming to the elementary and getting, you know, work done and learning as a child. Uh, but you have kind of been at the forefront of e-learning or online classes. Tell us a little bit more about how that's kind of developed over the years that your expertise in that. And like I saw recently you've been trying to help out organizations during this time. So how's that been going? You know, man, it's just it's always been a passion of mine. So I, I try to make videos right now. I think the best mechanism for delivery is do what everybody else is doing by having a hosting a webinar uh, or, or just, you know, create some simple tutorial videos, which are very easy about free resources that exist like Google classroom, um, like a free zoom account. There's so mm-hmm. many things that people can use. So I just try it now. I just try to, you know, put these little videos together and share them on LinkedIn, share them on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, but it's, it's, it's something that's always been a passion of mine, uh, since early days, I would say 2004, I was a freshman uh, at university and I saw Blackboard for the first time. And I tell this story to so many people, but I had an epiphany. Like I, I really had an aha moment. So I'm there in the computer lab. I still remember which computer lab, B103. And oh, wow. I log into the I log into Blackboard and I see how it looks, the structure. And I'm like, oh man, like th- th- this is it. This is game over. It's game over. This is the future <laughs> of education. Really, I'm telling you, like this is the... This is what That's I so felt. Beautiful. Like what you saw, like for literally, I would say 90% of college students, if not more, they see Blackboard and they just get annoyed, right? Because for the most part, for them, it's just like all oh, this clunky software that they have to use. Like at this point, it's, you know, it's, it's a legacy software. It's not something that's like fresh or new for most kids, right? Anyone who's been in college has had to use Blackboard, Blackboard for the most part, right? It's like, you know, a giant in the industry. But you saw it as like a new way forward, a new innovation that could help out the education industry. Since I was a kid, man, I've I've always been into hacking things. And I don't mean that, I don't mean like as a computer programmer or someone who picks up tools and hacks something, but I'm looking for hacks in life, even before that term existed, right? So um, if there's a certain way of doing something, is there a way to get that done faster? Do we have to go through this long, meticulous process? So when I saw Blackboard, I saw it as a hack. I saw it, okay, so wait, you're telling me that I can access this using a dynamic URL, I can log in using a custom username and password and I have access to my classroom materials. And then mm-hmm. my my brain was already thinking like, okay, is, is, is our video features going to be available one day? Are we going to be able to watch our class? And then when uh, YouTube ro- rolled out, I think in 06 or 07, I was like, oh man, this is game over, man. This is, this is game over. TV is going to change. The way we consume media is going to change. The way we educate ourselves is going to change. And lo and behold, that's been happening. Uh, since that time, I think it's really picked up pace 
with the whole solar solo entrepreneurs who have started selling their own courses online. But I would say 2013, 2014 is really when you started seeing a even bigger shift um, in, in this, in this industry. And right now there's just so many different systems, so many tools, so many free systems, so many things that you can do to collaborate using um, third-party softwares and programs. So for example, if I want to create like a mind map, I forgot the name of the software. It's called like garden.ch. You know, I can ask a question. I can send the dynamic link out. I can have people scan a QR code. And if I say, what's the first word that comes to your mind after watching the following clip? Bam, people start submitting their answers. A mind map starts, you know, being created. And then we just have so many tools like this that exist. Um, and, and the crazy thing is that this is just the beginning, man. With with now, mm-hmm. with COVID-19, my honest opinion, and I saw that you shared a post a couple of days ago, and I agreed, you know, to the T. Essentially, I can't remember it, but you said something about people who... I think inter- you're talking about the meme one with the yes. employees. Yeah, go yeah, ahead and so, explain it. Yeah, for the audience. So basically, there's this meme going around that's uh, very popular. It's basically uh, someone like an interview... And rather than them asking like, oh, how does your company do this? Or what's the environment? The question to the company is, what did you do for your employees during the COVID-19 pandemic? Right? Like that's what job interviewers are going to look for in the next year, in the next five years and stuff. Like how did a company treat their employees? And I said that this is also how all high schoolers and future high schoolers should be thinking for the colleges that they're looking at. Like what did their college do? Did their college immediately, you know, react and like be proactive or did they make it very hard? Did they make it, you know, be very like stressful for their students? Because if it's how they're handling this pandemic shows how they're going to handle everything on campus, in my opinion. I think, you know, the higher education industry was already going through a disruption. Enrollment mm-hmm. numbers for a lot of universities were down. And now I think COVID-19 is going to do two things. Number one, it's going to push the feasibility, the probab- probability, the cost saving of online education. And number yeah. two... You're going to, just like you pointed out, for the universities that were late to the game, late to the dance, the ones that uh, reacted instead of being proactive and reacted in a way that was not benefiting to the students, you're going to see their numbers decline even more starting this upcoming uh, semester in uh, fall 2020. Um, so I think this COVID-19, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's going to be a blessing in disguise. You know, as people of faith, we always have to look for the silver lining, right? We always have to look for yeah. the positives. So you know, we pray for the best. We we also take the precautions of being safe. Uh, but at the same time, you know, God willing, there's going to be something that comes out of this, which is positive. And I think I'm hoping that the student is going to be the benefactor. I definitely think so, because, you know, one of, another thing that I saw online that was like, oh, before you guys said that this online class had a 40 person limit, yet somehow you can make all 10,000 <laughs> students online classes, right? Like it's, there's so many arbitrary limits that people have put in, like even for work from home, right? They're always like, oh yeah, we can only have this many people work from home. Oh, it's like only this day. Can you refer like this limit? You know, we can't, but it's like now everyone's working from home. You guys obviously are able to handle it. It's like there's already, there are these arbitrary limits that companies and institutions have put in that they think that, oh, we need to have these or else people like take advantage or something. But now they're seeing that like people will get their work done. People will learn, you know, people will join. And some people don't want to just do online the entire time. A lot of people are like one week of it. I want to be back in class. Like people enjoy coming to college and stuff. So it's like, let people take online if they want. A lot of people are still going to come to your campus. It's, it's. Again, this is the age of disruption, man. This is everything's going to be disrupted. The way we look at edu- I put out a post two weeks ago uh, on, on Instagram, and I basically said that business as usual for higher education is, is dead. 
because the writing for me at that time was on the wall. When I saw this thing was going to, you know, overtake uh, certain sectors. And I, th I thought that, you know, there's a probability that we're not going to contain the spread based on what was going on in other countries, based on what a lot of analysts were saying in, in America. Mm -hmm. For me, higher education has to pivot now. And um, the cost of our higher ed is something that people have always questioned anyway, especially in the last whatever years, right? That the cost of higher education is going up exponentially, but is the quality going up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and people are going into huge debt just to get a, a degree that pays them, what, maybe 50, 60, 70K a year? So um, I think the cost is going to go down. I think the requirements are going to go down in terms of how you attend, when you attend. And I think just like you brought up the, the, the comparison to the workforce, you know, there's a lot of people who are giving their employees pushback in regards to working from home. Now you're mm -hmm. hoping... Now you're hoping and praying that your employees do work from home. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's all good, man. It's all good. You know, like we, we got to find the positives in all these things. And, you know, to kind of shift gears, I'm just saying that we as society at large need to learn how to work with one another, help with one another, uh, help one another, and just have some mercy between one another because this is a tough time for everybody. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's every day there's a new story about, you know, someone that someone knows someone that passed away or, you know, someone close to someone has passed away or has been infected. You know, I think every community so far has someone that they know that's been infected or has tested positive. So it's definitely a time where you see there's a lot of, I think, compassion out there. You see a lot of people are, you know, helping each other out, you know, whether it be the local mosques, the local churches, the local schools, there's a lot of, I think, uh, people coming together at this moment, right? We see all of the news about the panic buying and there's no toilet paper and stuff. But I think <laughs> at the same time, it's like that may be happening, but you see also everywhere I see, hey, we're doing deliveries for the elderly or we're doing this for the elderly or we're doing this for the people who can't get out. Like, hey, if you guys need something covered, you know, I'll cash you the money and stuff. So I think there's a lot of, you know, compassion out there just because people see everyone's going through a hard time. And I think that'll only kind of like increase as we go on. Uh, just because people will really come together during this time. Yeah, what's great is to see people putting aside their own or old personal differences, mm -hmm. uh, differences based on gender, race, religion, etc. And, you know, sometimes struggles, this is what they bring out of people, right? Life is put into perspective. So you focus on what is important, and that is life, right? To, to live, mm -hmm. to, to thrive. And, you know, I'm happy that our community, the you know, the Muslim community in Chicago, is doing a lot, you know, like you mentioned, there's so many uh, different communities, Muslim communities in Chicago who are having these like grocery deliveries, they're helping out the elderly, you know, your friend Mosin is, uh, was helping out the refugees. So mm -hmm. there's just so many, so many of our community members who are doing great things. And, it, and it's excellent. It's excellent. And this is what we need to focus on. And we need to also figure out how to do this, not just at times of need, but how can we continue this when things get, you know, when things get and do get better. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that, you know, as much as we're talking about how nonprofits are going to be like, you know, kind of hurting during this time, I think a lot of nonprofits are definitely going to be kind of, I wouldn't, I don't like to say benefiting, but a lot of charities are going to be benefiting in the sense of a lot of more people are going to be aware of them. Um, so it will benefit the people who they give to and stuff. So that will be really good. A lot of awareness is being raised about the local charities. So that's really awesome that, you know, even beyond after the Corona pandemic, these charities will have much more awareness in people's minds. And people will think about, you know, hey, donating even when there isn't a pandemic, because these a lot of these people, whether it's a pandemic or not, are need help. 
right? A lot of the people that need more help right now, they're going to need help even after the pandemic. They needed help beforehand as well. And so it's like the more people know about that, I think the more people will be able to help even, you know, once we're back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is. Mm. So what's what's your take on the next few months? What do you think is going to happen over the next few months? What do you think people should get prepared for? I mean, personally, I think it's going to be a big, I, I don't think, you know, anything's going to get back to normal until at least like June-ish. Like, I think we're all going to be kind of in this state for at least uh, the next month or two, uh, just because, you know, they're always like giving like two to three weeks of like, hey, we'll reevaluate. And I think, you know, we're, they're just going to keep having to reevaluate because we still haven't hit the peak. We're still going to hit the peak because we don't even have all the tests available, right? So the more testing that they're going to be able to do, the more cases that are going to pop up. And so we're just going to keep increasing. So I definitely think for a while, people are going to have to bunker down and just like kind of get through this. Um, but it's, you know, every family takes it different. Like, how's your family adapting to this whole situation? I mean, it's 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 definitely a challenge, right? In some ways, it's it's a blessing where everybody's home. The kids are all home. I get to see them. They get to see me. You know, um, it's fun in, in those ways. But at the same time, you know, you would love to take them to the park. You would love to take them maybe out to eat and those are the things that even if you do once in a while, you can't do at all right now, right? I, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to take those risks. So no, no, definitely not. In that sense, it's an adjustment. You know, everybody's kind of on top of one another because at the end of the day, we have multiple people in one house. So there's only so much room that you get, so much independence, so much mm-hmm. of your own free time. Um, but I would say overall, everyone's taken it pretty well. Uh, I think people have been bonding. I've noticed some positives in my opinion. Uh, in terms of the behaviors and, and whatnot of the children. Um, we do go into the backyard. We play. We go for little walks in the neighborhood, just in the immediate neighborhood. Um, I'm just hoping that this is something that's temporary and that's something that we have to get used to for the next three, four months. Uh, and, and Because if we do, then that's going to be the real test of how the family's taking it. Yeah. I think definitely like even for the kids, like it's still in that period where they're just like, oh, yeah, well, we get a week at home and stuff, right? Or, like two weeks at home, like it's just fun and vacation. But there, there is going to come a point where even they're going to be like, okay, when do we get to go back out? When do we get to see friends? When do we get to go out to eat and stuff? Um, and I think that's when it's really going to hit like the national psyche when it's like to the point of where you've kind of exhausted all the stuff to do inside and you're just kind of past monotonous like there's only so many game nights and stuff so i think for a lot of people it still hasn't hit right it's only been i think a week since the lockdown or like almost two weeks right two weeks is saturday since illinois did the lockdown um so i think it'll be a definitely a bigger adjustment once we hit like the one month mark and everything which personally i think we will hit at least one month you know under lockdown I mean, I would I, honestly, I would not be surprised if this lasts a lot longer than people are anticipating, you know, from some of the people that I talk to. Um, I, I can't vouch for lockdown. I'm not sure how long lockdown will last. But in terms of us having to deal with the virus and having mm-hmm. to be safe and, you know, some ed- some higher educational places have already canceled the rest of the semester or yeah. have said that the rest of the semester is going to be online. So I think people are gearing up for this to last a lot longer than most people are hoping for. Um but even if it does, you know, everyone should remain optimistic, remain hopeful. And, you know, as I mentioned to some uh, some of my friends earlier, this is the best time right now since we're home and we have some free time. Self-development, you know, work on the things that you need to work on. Uh, get new skills. You know, the job market and the industry is going to change with this disruption that's going on. So work on things that you find will be important in the next six to seven months. For example, if you're an educator and you were never really comfortable with technology, 
Well, guess what? This is the time to get comfortable with technology and teaching online and learning. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, learning about online tools. And and for me personally, you know, I had a interview that I did with a doctor over the weekend who's also a I think board cert- certified in clinical nutrition, uh, board eligible in home home homeopathic medicine and and more things. And this is a time to you know help ourselves by helping our bodies and becoming healthy and forming good and uh, sustainable habits that will lead to a healthy mind, spirit, and body uh, to make sure that our immune systems are are strong and can you know resist different things that are uh, that are attacking it. So that that's my advice. Yeah, was that interview on the Wallaway? Yeah, it was on the Wallaway. It's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. It's on the website. Yeah, so for the audience, the Wallaway is Imran's uh, personal podcast. So, how did you? When did you start that up, and how's that been recording? You know, since the pandemic has hit, I know for many people, like podcast recording in remotely is kind of the norm for many. Um, so that's not big, much big of a change. But yeah, so tell a bit, tell us a little bit more about the Wallaway. So the Wallaway, you know, I've always, um, so just like I had that epiphany in, in in university when I saw Blackboard, I also had a lot of aha moments while a student because I I, you know, I studied literature that was my undergrad I was never a natural art student I never gravitated towards reading writing I was quite weak at it so for mm-hmm. whatever reason I decided to study literature and minor in linguistics um, oh, wow. yeah yeah and I had so many moments where I learned uh, from my instructors and I learned from my peers things that really changed the way I looked at the world the way I looked at in, in interacting and engaging with my fellow you know, my fellow man. Um, so I, I always remembered these conversations that I would have with my professors, my bosses, my supervisors, older friends, uh, older, you know, older uncles from the community. So I said, how can I take the benefit that I've had from my conversations with, with others and my journey and kind of recreate them? So I said, you know what, let me go full force with this. This is something that I've wanted to do for a while. So I created the wall away and I tried to interview and have conversations with people who can benefit uh, society at large. So sometimes I'll interview people who are in the health field. Sometimes I'll interview educators, excuse me. Sometimes I'll interview uh, people who are very successful at starting businesses and entrepreneurs so they can give advice on how can you start a business? How can you become an entrepreneur? How can you educate yourself? How can you keep healthy in the process? What are, what, what are effective leadership skills? What are effective team building skills? So I, I just try to recreate the conversations that I'm fascinated by anyways. Um, and then to answer your original part of the question, I mean, the recordings have gone fine. Of, of course, as you mentioned, a lot of them are now remote. So we're doing these remotely. Um, and I think a lot of my time actually has been put into making material for ACC as we do two live interviews a week. So most of my time has gone towards ACC, but I, I should have a uh, while away podcast releasing in the next couple of days yeah i'm really excited for uh those who haven't checked it out uh the wall away what i find really interesting about it is that you have not just like interviews with people but just conversations with your audience and some of those i feel like are your strongest uh, episodes just because you dive into some topics like one of my favorite episodes was uh i think your first in the five dysfunctions of the calves right <laughs> um so that one was really good because you know it wasn't just like oh they're not passing well it like went into like the mindset of the people on the team and like the way that, you know, management handles someone and stuff like that. And so it was like really applying real world lessons to like an NBA team and like looking at how, you know, an NBA team can be as sorry, as dysfunctional as your like local office. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and those are the type of things that I'm interested in. Right. So when I look at sports, I don't, I don't watch sports, uh, for a purely aesthetic reason. I don't, 
I do appreciate the beauty of sports. I do find that sports are, are, are artistic in their own right. But for me, sports are about building and sustaining organizations, right? And that's why one of my favorite teams and people who know me get tired of hearing it uh, is the San Antonio Spurs. So I love the Spurs because of the way they, they built the team, the organizational culture, the organizational values, uh, the way that they're committed to the players and the way that they're committed to each other. So I like looking at sports like that. Even if I were to watch, say, for example, uh, even though it's a bit violent, the UFC, I'm not necessarily uh, interested in the fight necessarily. I'm mm-hmm. also interested in the training regimens. How are these people training? Are they training differently from one another? Are they training the same? How are they eating? How's their nutrition? Do they all have you know multiple coaches for the different arts within martial arts? How do they market themselves? What brands are they associated with? So there's just so many conversations that you can have around around sports that most people don't have, and you know that's why I like to have those conversations. Yeah, no, I think sports is something that once you start diving into it, it's more than just about like the game itself. Like there's so much that goes into you know each of the teams. And being from Houston, it hurts me a lot that you're a fan of the Spurs. But <laughs> I'll accept, I'll accept. I can respect it because you know what Popovich has done is just amazing. You know, it's what it's what brings me so much pain is because they you know win so much through his amazing system. I mean, I, I'm going to have to throw a, a cheap shot in, but if, you know, if the Houston Rockets were, would be committed to playing defense more regularly, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I could be a fan, brother. You know, this, this year we would have won it all, but uh, we don't know now with coronavirus. <laughs> That's that coronavirus season. The corona had to come around and just ruin your, ruin your chances. Took down the perfect season, but. <laughs> I mean, so they were. I've heard... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, so you're saying? I was saying that the Rockets are actually doing very well as of late. So, you know, there, there's some validity to what you're saying. Yeah, maybe I don't. I mean, they're not practicing right now because of coronavirus. So I don't know how much more they can gel during this off time. But you know, hopefully they don't ungel. Hopefully they, you know, <laughs> come back just as strong. But no, I was gonna say, you know, you mentioned nutrition a few times already in this episode. Um, I know you're big into nutrition, especially with like the special diet that you have gone. How's that been with like the whole grocery panic? Has it been kind of hard, like finding what you need exactly, or has everything been pretty good? Uh, not necessarily, man. I mean, uh, we've been pretty good so far. You know, we we order on Amazon. I don't know what it's called, like Amazon Prime now or something. No, like uh, the Amazon Fresh. Yeah, Amazon Fresh, and uh, there's also Sprouts, or I'm, maybe I'm just making that name up. There's some other <laughs> services that come with the Amazon service as as add-ons. But you know, we've been ordering our stuff, and obviously things are less in stock now than they were a couple of weeks ago. But we did we did try to prepare a few weeks ago by ordering you know enough things. But obviously that's going to have to take a, a little bit of a hit. So for example, uh, I don't like to eat rice a lot. I don't like to eat potatoes a lot uh, for 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 various reasons. Um, but you know, rice and potatoes are something that stay right. They don't spoil mm-hmm. uh, very quickly, especially rice. So if 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 things do get worse and um, there are less options available to us in the future, then we're going to be happy that we had the rice and the beans and the potatoes and the peanut butter and, and, and these things. So uh, yeah, I think non-perishables was something when we went shopping that we tried to like emphasize like what can last us for a while that, you know, we won't get tired of that. You can make a lot of different, like with rice, you can make a lot of different dishes with, right? So it's like, it's easy if you just have some rice, you're set for a while. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, you know, God willing, uh, this is not something that lasts a long time, but you always have to, per- you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, um, and just just get ready, man. Just get ready for whatever may come your way. So, you know, in terms of people stocking up, I don't knock that. In terms of people going crazy and attacking people in stores and trying to buy a whole bunch of stuff so that others don't get it, I, I mean, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, there's definitely a benefit in planning. Yeah, no, Dev, I think. 
the the whole panic was pretty crazy and you know for us the toilet paper isn't too big of a deal you know we use lotas and everything <laughs> um and it's you know it's been good there's been a lot more awareness about bidets and stuff in the american public you know what is it orders have gone insane on amazon <laughs> through bidet companies so i think people are realizing you know what's actually good and clean uh but yeah i think i think definitely the whole panic has been pretty crazy but that's kind of died down now that people kind of see we're in it for the long haul grocery stores aren't going to close that they're going to stay open that you can still go to them that you can still get your essentials um so i think right now we're kind of back down to a normal sense and i think the only you know thing for now is like kind of helping the people who can't go out exactly. so I think a lot of the you know delivery services are really helping the elderly yeah and i think even you know for ourselves and for our listeners try to figure out a way to help your immediate neighbors right if you know that your immediate neighbors need help reach out to them call them you know write a letter put it on their window if you don't want to knock on the door and then also think about helping out extended family members or people who are part of your larger network who may need help call people connect with them they'll appreciate it but if we all take this uh, approach where we're going to help the people immediately uh, in our lives like our neighbors and, and family members and everyone takes that approach that that almost ensures that you know people are taken care of so i'm just hoping that people can remember that yeah definitely that's really true well, Jazakallah Khairman for joining us. I mean, I think this has been a great episode, really, you know, really insightful on how you're handling the pandemic, given all the different, you know, roles that you have, whether it be podcaster, organization development, or even a father. Uh, any last words for the audience and any, you know, social media you want to shout out? Uh, no, man, I appreciate you doing this. You know, Wayak, uh, thank you for uh, presenting the audience with meaningful conversations. I'm hoping this one was meaningful, but the other conversations definitely were. And thank you for entertaining the people and thank you for being involved with so many organizations and helping the youth and helping the elderly in our community. Um, you know, ACC, if, if people can follow us, we're going to be hosting a whole bunch of programmings in the, in, in the next week. Just in this next week, we're going to have Habib Qadri, uh, who is a National Distinguished Principal Award winner for the entire country. And then we're going to have a brother, Abdullah Said from Provision Capital, who is going to teach us about rethinking the way we look at money and the, rethinking the way we look at uh, expenses. And then Saturday, next Saturday, we're going to have Yasser Birjaz uh, talk to us about, Sheikh Yasser Birjaz, I'm sorry, talk to us about some of the uh, positives that have come out of this situation to, you know, to, so that we remain hopeful. So please follow us at A Continuous Charity on, on, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. Visit us at acceducate.org. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you for setting this up. Now, Jazakallah Khair so much for coming on. Uh, you know, personal appeal to everyone listening. ACC is a very close, you know, uh, nonprofit to my heart. I really wholeheartedly believe in what they're trying to achieve and what they're trying to accomplish. So definitely go check out their website, go check out their social media, follow them wherever you can, and please donate to them if you're able to. Um, other than that, it's been a great episode. Jazakallah Khair for listening, everyone. As always, you can find me at ZBHOY and at IMMTCast. Uh, until next time, salam.